You're listening to the South Georgia Insider, sponsored by WDDQ Talk 92.1, home of the Scott James Matheson Show. Now here's your host, Theresa Boyd. It's a great day to be in South Georgia, and thank you for joining us on the South Georgia Insider. And today we're going to talk about a topic that impacts every single person, every day. From the cotton sheets on your bed, to the food you eat, and the clothes that you wear, the agriculture industry is important to all of us. Um, In Georgia, it's ranked the number one industry, representing more than $73 billion in economic impact. But everything's not peaches and cream when it comes to the American family farm and that some of them are struggling. And today we've got Russ Goodman, a seventh generation farmer from um, who grows blueberries timber. And you got a little bit of cattle too. Uh, yes, ma'am. Pecans. Okay. From Cogdale, uh, which is in Clinch County. Welcome to the show, Russ. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm proud to be here and just want to thank you for for the work that you've done in highlighting the importance of agriculture and and some of the uh, some of the difficulties that we're facing right now and this I really appreciate that all right so um, we are going to um, start with um, talking a little bit about you know I mentioned that agriculture is Georgia's number one industry but I bet if we ask people what's the number one fruit crop in Georgia what are they going to say well, of course, we're the peach state, <laughs> right? But uh, uh, blueberries. But they would, but they would be wrong. That's so. exactly right. Blueberries would be the number one fruit crop. That's exactly right. We represent uh, the blueberry industry. Does uh, about a seven hundred and fifty million dollar annual economic impact uh, in the counties surrounding Valdosta. So it's a it's a, a huge business in South Georgia. Huge economic driver. Yeah, and for everybody who doesn't know, there's really two types of blueberries. Um, we've got the rabbit eye mm-hmm. and the high bush. That's exactly and right. And so, what do you 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 raise you grow? Well, we grow both. So okay. we, we've got high bush and rabbit eyes, and so our season no, will normally go. The high bush will come in uh, normally around the first of April, and then uh, the rabbit eyes come in after the the high bush. And so our fresh season normally goes from about the first of April until. Uh, about the 25th of June. And you ship blueberries all across the country. We do. So we're part of a co-op, the MBG Co-op. It's the nation's oldest and largest blueberry cooperative. It was founded in Grand Junction, Michigan back in 1936. It's made up of about 250 American farm families. And we've got members in Florida, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, New Jersey, Michigan, Indiana, and up in the Pacific Northwest as well. All right. So we mentioned, uh, I think you said about $700 million in blueberry economic impact Mm -hmm. here in Georgia. So tell us a little, let's bring it down home to South Georgia. Big counties that are big blueberry growers in this area are? Well, you've got Clinch and Bacon are probably the two largest, Mm -hmm. but you've got blueberries in Lowndes County. You've got blueberries in virtually every county. I mean, you've got them even around Camilla, but uh, you know, you got Lowndes and Clinch and uh, Lanier and Atkinson, Ware, Bacon, uh, Coffee. Uh, all, all those counties are big, big blueberry producing. Yeah. So here in South Georgia, what are what are some of the environmental issues you face with blueberry production? I mean, not we, uh, we were talking well, about weather and all one that. One of the biggest thing, and it's something that I've I've kind of been an advocate about, is the Tier Four engines emissions mandate. And so, you know, when NAFTA came into effect back in 1994, of course, we're competing on a, what should be an equal playing field with Mexico. But uh, in Mexico, they're not under the Tier 4 engines emissions mandate. And what it is, it's a, uh, you know, it's an emissions mandate where this apparatus is uh, 
I guess you could say, affixed to a diesel engine, and you put urea in, and then it helps clean the exhaust and all that kind of thing. But the crazy thing is, is it's been one of the largest tax increases on rural America in my lifetime because it adds about $15,000 to the purchase price of everything with a diesel engine. And then you have the cost of the buying all the diesel exhaust fluid, um, and then you've got increased maintenance and increased downtime. And the crazy thing is I've, I've actually spoke spoken with, with, with some folks that are uh, that work in government that that are uh, they understand the science behind it a lot more than I do and so the engines emissions reductions from tier three to tier four are pretty negligible um, and when we went from tier three to tier four was when the diesel exhaust fluid came into being so and, and it's also it's kind of a shotgun approach so um, the diesel engines that we use for frost protection so we have underground wells that we use um, that we do drip irrigation you know that we actually irrigate our blueberries with but we've got these diesel power units that we just use for frost protection and they're only used on the nights um, that we're in bloom that it's cold and we have to you know put that that layer of ice to protect the bloom and so we've had years that we've we've never ran them and we've had years that we've run them 15 nights but on average you know we may put 80 hours a year on those diesel mm -hmm. engines and um those engines are under the same emission standards as a semi that's on the interstate that's putting a quarter of a million right. miles a year on, on the interstate. You know what I mean? Right. And, and the level, level playing field issue comes in that those are not the same standards that other countries are having to use that are importing that's right. The crops. That's right. So, so the issues that you're facing, the blueberries, are some of the same issues that our our produce farmers and are are facing ac across uh, South Georgia and North Florida and all throughout the southeastern states. There's some of these same issues with the um, tier three and four. Mm -hmm. Just to kind of clarify that, so like in a country like Mexico, they're still able to run on like a tier two tier one tier one they can still use tier one engines. so and from what i understand is then if you go to get your your uh, piece of equipment fixed it's going to cost you more to mm -hmm. get that piece of equipment fixed than what it does for some a farmer in mexico let's say mexico well that's exactly right and you've also with these engines you've got a lot more uh, sensors and things like that on there that it can cause the engine to shut down so um, if anything were to happen you know when you're frost protecting, the, the key is is that engine has got to be running throughout the, the night until your wet bulb temperature gets back above 32. And if it were to go down, you've got about 15 minutes to, to be able right. to get it back up and going, and then you lose your crop. And uh, so it, it, it is an issue, and, and I think sometimes there's a disconnect with what uh, – I've been to Washington several times, and I've spoken with the EPA about it, and one of the gentlemen from the EPA told me that he had looked at that and, and, and said, you know, what, what you guys really need to do is, you know, we, we think you guys need to go to natural gas. And I'm like, well, we don't listen. We don't have natural gas. We're <laughs> right. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is not just an issue, uh, let's say, um, a little issue. This is becoming a major issue. I think we, uh, we mentioned in the article that's in this latest issue that in 2019, Georgia was ranked number three, only behind California and Wisconsin, with 41 family farms filing for chapter 12 bankruptcy mm -hmm. that's that's up that's from 26 from the previous year so this is this is not just about uh a rising cost in 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 how you uh operate your farm this is bottom line this is pushing family farms not just blueberries but all different farms out of business it is and it's it's, it's not just regulation uh, and one of the, the other like especially in blueberries you know 
um, we use H-2A labor here in South Georgia. Right. And, you know, the average cost is about $12 an hour. And, you know, we're competing against Mexico where their average cost is about a dollar an hour. And so on a blueberry farm, you know, at least a third of our cost of production is, right. is labor. So you take, um, and that's not just blueberries, that's any produce farm in South Georgia. Right. And so you take any business on God's green earth that uh, uh, your competition has a 90% advantage in something that's a third of the cost of the operation, uh, eventually they'll put their competition out of mm-hmm. business. And the, 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 the thing about that, that competition comes in the form of the American Family Farm. Yeah, and in most businesses, your your labor cost is anywhere from 70 80 percent of your of your operating costs so right there you've got you're playing at a disadvantage and just to clarify that so if you're paying and and the federal government tells you based upon what state you live in how much average you have to pay for h2a workers Mm -hmm. that's a federally mandated uh program Mm -hmm. but so if you're paying here in georgia anywhere between 12 and 15 dollars an hour Mm -hmm. mexico they're paying 12 or 15 dollars a day that's right so right there uh, for small business owners out there thinking think about if you were having to pay an employee twelve dollars an hour and the guy next door paid that same type worker twelve dollars for the whole day the difference in just your operating cost so this has kind of come to a head in in the last few years um we're seeing more and more of these family farms which are the backbone and i know you're very passionate about that talk about the passion that you've seen and that you have for keeping family farms not just in south georgia but across our state open and running well it's just it's not just about the family farm it's about rural america um it's about our food security you know i'm like you said seventh generation south georgia farmer i've grew up growing peanuts cotton and tobacco my brother's still farming on land that's been in our family since before the Civil War, and I'm I'm farming on land that's been in my wife's family since 1822, um, and I am passionate about it. I, I, you know, that's that's the heart of of what this country is. What what built this country? You know, it was American Family Farm. If you go back and look, I mean, and we all have a shared interest in American Family Farm. I mean, back in 1880, 80 something percent of the people lived on farms, and even uh, just you know back in 1940, you had a third of the people you know that were growing up on 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 uh let's put it this way a third of the people of the soldiers that stormed the beaches in normandy a third mm-hmm. of them were grew up on american family farms right you know, so. right and now it's down to two percent and um you know a lot of things that one of the things that's not talked about very often is the farmers share the retail dollar and it's just continued to decline i mean just five years ago forever a dollar that the american consumer spent on food 17 and a half cents went to the farmer now it's down to 14 cents mm-hmm. so for people out there listening say well you know i i live here in south georgia and if if agriculture is such a big economic engine industry in this state uh and they may be saying i don't even i don't know a farmer so why should i even care but we talked about it when we first introduced this the sheets that are on your bed the clothes that you wear, the food that you put in your mouth, you know, every single person, every single day depends on a farmer oh, yeah, absolutely. to get by. Yeah, I mean, agriculture, especially in South Georgia, I mean, it's, it's a... Uh, so let's say, let's say, for example, um, in, in your county, in Clinch County, which is pretty much predominantly rural mm-hmm. um, farming, let's say five farms went under this year what would be the impact it wouldn't just be those farmers it would be the 
school system oh, it would yeah, be well. tell us a little bit about if one farm goes down or two farms go down what does that mean for a community like clinch county well and another thing that that continues to, to scare me is i went to school at university of georgia majored in and majored in ag economics and so the the two things that we learned about and studied over and over were the great depression and the farm economy collapse of the 1980s and um you know in the 1980s when farms a third of the family farms were foreclosed on and from 1980 to 1990 and when these uh when, as these farms get foreclosed on they go to auction that's a that's a reset on the value of the property you get what i'm mm-hmm. saying and so you know that makes land values go down and that puts the farmers that are still struggling trying to stay in business in an even more adverse position because they've lost you know appraisal value in their farms and so that they, they're losing equity you know and the the thing about agriculture right now is farmers you know farm debts as high as it's been since 1986 um but everybody that we buy from and that we sell to as far as the major corporations are, are doing pretty well and so you know um, we've got to we've got to figure out a way that we can that we can start returning back to the farm more of that retail share right. of the american food dollar so um you know we've heard the argument when when it's been said that uh georgia farmers south georgia farmers in particular in the produce industry are feeling this this crunch this this um dire situation and the and the, the number will come up and say well you're producing you're growing more squash you're growing more zucchini you're growing more blueberries than you've ever done before and that might be very well true but the money that you're getting on that pint or that case of blueberries today is drastically less than what you got on it five years ago so when people maybe look at those production numbers and see a a rise in production that does not equate to a rise in revenue no and every, and and all of our inputs are going up as well mm-hmm. you know so um you know my brother grows cotton i mean try growing cotton for 60 cents is pretty tough you know and we've seen in blueberries when we started out blueberries were bringing eight dollars a pound and now it's i guess probably down around two dollars a pound but there's an inverse uh, correlation with the amount of imports coming in from mexico versus what we're seeing in return to the farm um in 2010, there were 1.8 million pounds of blueberries shipped in the United States from Mexico, and last year it was 53 million pounds. Uh, our, our friends in the co-op in Michigan, um, they're facing similar pressure from Peru. Um, so it's, um, you know, we're, we, all we want uh, as far as farmers is just a level playing field. I think the American farmer can compete with anybody in the world, but, you know, it's hard to it's hard to compete if, if, the, if you're not – if you're not on equitable terms right right um and just a side note to that you were talking about the tier four engines emissions mandate you know our family we're in the timber business and we plant pine trees Uh, we plant for private landowners in south georgia north florida but for for paper companies as well and uh the tree the tractors that we've been planting trees with for 40 years the 6610 um they're still making that tractor 10 miles across the border in Mexico and shipping it all over the world, but we can't bring it into the United States. And so in South Georgia, we, we have these forestry beds. It's a savanna plow. It's a high-raised bed um, that you plant the pine the pine ceiling on. keeps the tree out of the water so it'll live, you know. Um, in order to be able to straddle that bed, we have to put these larger tires on the tractor to, to be able to get the ground clearance. Um and so these new tractors, the new Tier 4 tractors, they've got all this apparatus on it that you can't, you can't mount those big tires on there 
to use them. So we're all running tractors that are wore out. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy to me because we're, we're reforesting. You know, we talk about climate change and carbon exchange and all that stuff. And I don't claim to be an expert on it, but you know, these tractors are being used to replant pine, to reforest, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I have worked to try to get an exemption where we could bring those tractors in, uh, from Mexico. Uh, I've been unsuccessful at that, but, uh, that's the kind of thing, you know, that to me, this, this blanket approach on everything right. sometimes that the government does just, you know, it's kind of, kind of short-sighted. I mean, if we're, if we need those tractors to reforest and you look at timberland, I mean, timberland in the state of Georgia, talking about taxes and, you know, local and state governments, I mean, timberland owners contribute about a billion dollars mm-hmm. a year uh, to state and local government uh, in the form of taxes. And, you know, my wife's third generation public school teacher, that helps to fund our public schools, our law right. enforcement, our fire departments and everything else, you know. Right. So you mentioned NAFTA earlier. So let's get a little bit into NAFTA kind of has been pushed by the wayside this year. Mm-hmm. And now we have the U.S.-Mexican Mexico-Canada Agreement, USMCA, and that was supposed to be bigger, better than NAFTA, Mm -hmm. and for the most part, for manufacturing and for most of agriculture, USMCA is a good deal. It has opened up new um, trade uh, with Canada and Mexico. Um, uh, I know the USDA claims it a win-win. However, for produce or what we call seasonal farmers, um, those who are raising your zucchini and your squash and all your, your produce things, mostly here along the southeastern seaboard, USMCA, not a good deal. It has, it's, got, it's got its issues. And so now y'all are working as a group to try to um, remedy that. So I know you've had some hearings in Washington recently. So talk a little bit about what's next. What USMCA is here um it's in effect but what what's going to be done now to try to rectify some of those issues well one of the things that was hurting us is agriculture was not united on that front um you've got the western growers out in california you know a lot of those guys are down in mexico farming um in arizona there's a huge industry uh, along the border where they're they're packing sheds and they'll, the, the produce is actually being grown in Mexico, and then they ship it across the border and pack it in the United States. Right. Um, so and that, put a U.S. label on it. Well, they'll say packaged in the USA, okay. yeah, which, right. which is very misleading. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, even back when, when we heard that the Trump administration was going to renegotiate NAFTA, uh, several, we made several trips to Washington. Um, I actually met with the ag, the ag team, uh, myself and uh, Gary Black, our Commissioner of Agriculture, and uh, uh, Jerome Crosby, our, our uh, Chairman of the Blueberry Commission, and Tyler, Senator Tyler Hopper, uh, who's on the Senate Ag Committee. Um, we, we met with them and discussed, you know, the situation and talked about, you know, how it was affecting family farms. And, you know, when you get to Washington and you get to talk to some of these folks, you kind of realize that they don't always maybe understand uh, sometimes everything that's going on on the ground i had one person ask me they said well are you more concerned about competition from florida and north carolina or mexico and you know that kind of just set me back a little bit because i'm like listen those farmers in florida and north carolina are my american brothers and sisters i'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm worried about somebody uh in mexico where they're they're you know the minimum wage is what 85 85 cents an hour or something like mm-hmm. that you know uh, and we've got a, uh, if you look at what happened to the tomato farmers in Florida, we kind of have a roadmap of what, what's happened. I mean, when NAFTA was enacted in 1994, there were 228 uh, American 
family farm tomato farmers in 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 the state of Florida. There's less than twenty today. Yeah. Um, and so we we went to work. We we lobbied. We worked with all our congressional uh, delegation. We had a big push uh, from both uh, our Republican and our Democratic uh, members in our delegation. You know that wrote letters and, and were advocating for us through this process. Um, but at the end of the day, we we did not get the uh, provisions that we wanted, and a lot of that was due to the fact that you know out in California, you've got these big corporations that are farming down in Mexico, and they're they're importers, and you know they they're a big lobby, and you know uh, we uh, we didn't we didn't make the cut in that regard, but we did get Ambassador Lighthizer did um, agree that they would set up hearings, which they did do, and that they were going to launch an investigation. Um, and to be quite honest with you, to start with, I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to amount to much. But when the reaction from the from Mexico and some of those folks when they when they heard about this, mm-hmm. I I kind of said, well, there must be more to it than I thought yeah. because they're, they they went to they, they got pretty upset. But and the Trump administration was true to their word. I, I've got to say, I'm I'm proud of like our members like uh, uh, David Perdue. Uh, I know Senator Perdue. He uh, you know, he was he was not willing to vote for USMCA until we had those provisions in writing, right. and so right. you know I appreciated that, and I, I participated in those hearings, uh, and they ended up being virtual. We didn't have to go to Washington because of COVID, but we myself and uh, Sam Watson, who is a, a state representative from Moultrie, he and I, our fraternity brother from college, he's a produce farmer, and Bill Brim uh, as a produce farmer in Tifton, and then Joe Cornelius, who's a good friend of mine, who's a blueberry farmer, and Steve McMillan is a blackberry farmer. Uh, several of us, you know, testified. Charles Hall, and then we had members from our uh, congressional delegation. Gary Black, several several people did, and um, and our our portion of it went from uh, eight o'clock until noon. And afternoon uh, was when the folks from out west testified. Yeah, a different and, story. Well, it was pretty tough to take. I mean, I had one guy was on there, and he said, "Listen," he said, "You know, this is just late in the game for these guys to be bringing this up. They should have said something about this a long time ago." And I'm. I'm sitting here, you know, yeah. I, I think I needed to take a nitroglycerin tablet when I heard that because I'm like, you know, we've been screaming it at the top of our right. lungs. Um, well, speaking of that, getting that attention, you're also uh, very active with this Demand American Grown mm-hmm. uh, initiative. Just tell mm-hmm. us real briefly as we kind of close out a little bit about Demand American Grown. What what can the consumers do? What can people out there listening right now do to help our farmers? Well, when you go into the store, look for and demand American grown product. That's the the demand American grown movement is it's just a group of farmers from across the country that have gotten together and we're trying to bring greater awareness. And as farmers we haven't done a good enough job of that. You know, mm-hmm. farming, you know, you're you're trying to make your crop and, and trying to run your business and we've got to get more involved in letting the American people know how important it is. It's, I mean not just about all these rural economies across this country, but but about our food security. I mean if nothing is done in the next twenty years um, I do not think that, that I'm overstating this, that I think that we could end up being dependent upon other countries for our food supply, at least in terms of fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a scary deal, you know, and not to mention, you know, all these all this investment in blueberries and underground irrigation and, and produce and everything else. It's not like these farmers can just turn around and, and uh, you know, <laughs> decide I'm going to start growing soybeans. And then, you know, of course, they're carrying debt in our local banking institutions and everything else, and they're paying taxes that are going into our tax digest. And, uh, you know, agriculture is just a huge, huge part. It's not it's not everything, but it is a huge part. Exactly. Of what we, it may not be everything, but it is something that we all 
need and we all depend upon mm-hmm. um, in the article in the magazine and we'll have a link to that in the show notes we'll also have a link to where we can get more information from demand American grown um, and a little bit about checking the Lowe's labels it doesn't take any time to look at those labels um, that are on your produce that's on your food on your meat um, that's you know another area we don't really get into, but also meat packaged. Um, where is it coming from? There's a greater dem- a greater awareness now from people um, to know where their food is coming from, what country their food is coming from, and um, so I get frustrated, and I don't know you know why, but I, I just believe when you go into a grocery store and you get ready to buy a ribeye steak, if it if that if that beef came from America, it needs to have a you know grown in America right uh, label on it. And I don't know why we can't. Yeah. Well, and and two, um, you know, in the manufacturing side, the whole buy American buy American made has has resonated for several years, and so there is a big push for people buy American made. But the food side has kind of got lost in that discussion, and so um, the way I see it, demand American grown, you're kind of bringing that back into the conversation mm-hmm. about Absolutely. about and I mean, food. And I believe, I believe in my heart, if we will, if we will. Uh, do our part in, in, in letting the American consumer know. I mean, people want to support their fellow Americans. I mean, by and large, they do. I mean, I know our country has our problems, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, these farmers across this country, they're Republicans, they're Democrats, they're liberals, they're conservatives, they're moderates. They're, I mean, they represent the gamut of, of, of uh, the entire country. And, you know, you go back and you think about, uh, I've got a good friend that's on the board of the co-op with me, and um his uh his his great uncle his grandfather's little brother died on on utah on omaha beach i'm sorry you know at normandy and he never made he had never had the opportunity to come home and 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 run the family farm but 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 his older brother did and now that same family is running that farm mm-hmm. and i mean it's it's you know to me it's by supporting you know these these american family farms you're not only su- supporting them but you're supporting their communities but you're also honoring those behind us that have fought for our freedom and 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 paid the ultimate sacrifice and i mean you know it's just it's 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 a cornerstone to me the american family farm is one of the cornerstones that makes us who we are as a nation you know exactly every now and then i watch there's a movie back uh, in the 80s called country you know where they where they get to have you ever seen that movie Mm -hmm. yeah every every now and then when i want to get fired up a little bit i'll watch that and you know uh, because i remember those days i mean the 80s were were tough it, it was it was uh i was coming along growing up in those days and right and today most uh the majority of school children don't even know where their food have no idea about food and where it come from and how it's produced they just say it's you go to the grocery store so we have lost that awareness of of the american farmer so and we thank you for being with us today and again we will put those links in our show notes and um we uh thank everybody for um joining us here today uh thanks russ for being our guest absolutely um, we thank you for again, having me uh, thank our sponsor small town broadcast home of the scott james matheson show oh which you can hear right here on talk 92.1 monday through friday and a special thank to our <clears throat> show producer spencer van horn who's helping us get through each of these episodes so thank you and join us next time as we continue to highlight why south georgia is a great place to live work and play